Good morning. This is late April 2022, and we're talking again about the book Artificial Intelligence and New Messiah. Today we're going to uh, focus upon chapter 10, episode 13 of this podcast, which is Aztec Wisdom, not shared in the scrolls, nor the Exodus play. And in this, um, before we start again, I'm looking for a sponsor. And uh, this is a really exciting chapter about esoteric wisdom and its application. And in this story, before I begin, uh, right off the bat, I'll let you know that we're using quotes by the Essenes to move this chapter or story along and how they gather their insight. And this really helps because when I go into a certain detail, you'll you'll understand that they, they, app, they applied their understanding of their writings. Um, the other big factor is that, you know, when you get a book or something learned like this, if it's easy to understand, many times you're not learning. And in these, this, these writings, you know, your synapse in your mind will be blinking because you're absorbing material that maybe new you've never seen before. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this. So we're going to start with uh, what is esoteric wisdom? And I'm going to start with uh, Leonardo da Vinci. He says there are three classes of people. Those who see, those who see when they are shown, and those that never see. We're going to focus upon those who can see, because we're going to show you how the scenes really... uh, um, so advanced with their time period that they lived upon. And we're going to start with uh, Da Vinci himself. You know, this is a person that uh, 500 years ago, he used a nanometer to measure the speed of wind. He drew an arrow scree- uh, screws to develop a helicopter. He had a flying machine that was basically the plane and a parachute that he created and then a self-propelled car way before his time. He also did something that is similar to uh, the Essenes. He drew the Vitruvian Man, and that was the man, uh, there's a picture in, in this chapter, of two superimposed images upon themselves with 16 different poses. And it's re- reminiscent of the Tree of Life that consists of 22 paths and 10 Sephora series of a 16-inch triad. So same type of, of thinking. So I think... The Essene community and and the Da Vinci were on the same pathway. And um, how is it that they were able to see being the Essenes? They did it in a couple different ways. I'm going to start with they used continuous prayer because you know they did study the scrolls, they did pray, they were uh, persons of faith. Um, they also understand the abstract knowledge of light and dark light. This is real important because when they did the writings of, that were on leather or papyrus or on copper, they wrote uh, very esoteric writings in the, the Isaiah Scroll, the Rules of the Community, the War of Sons of Light versus Sons of Darkness. That was it was a kid, and um, you know they have a really in-depth understanding of uh, light and dark. The third area is the Book of is of Ezekiel. And they were prayers to, to drive out the Roman Piketa. And they would, I'm going to use a quote here that they used, um, as I mentioned. 
and that is, I will strike your bow from one, your left hand and will make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel you shall fall, the fall, the fall of the king of Kedah, and you'll fall before the Israel people. You know, that is what uh, the objective at that time period, and that's why they wrote, they wrote, they combined the esoteric with the with the reality of their having at that time period. And, um, you know, what's really understand, real important to understand by the scenes is that um, they consider themselves uh, the remnant of their time. And they were the final element, final remnant. If you look what the definition of the word remnant, it means, you know, a thread of history. Because this particular scene, Brotherhood, studied the law of Moses, the Torah, but they did not want to be part of the uh, temple Pharisees. You know, they lived in the rural communities, and they followed what they felt were, was the teach of righteousness, and they expected that of their writings. Um, you know, and again, they were not written within the Torah or the Bible. So it's real important that they had a very different philosophy of doing things. We're going to share that to, with you now. Why is it they consider themselves the remnants of their time? And that is their uh, the absolute fidelity to the law of Moses. But they also uh, relied upon the cure of the body. And that was that they used plant and herbs to heal themselves. They lived in exile in the, in the, in the rural community. And uh, they used a special devotions of the mark of their own of a covenant to their time frame. They consider themselves spiritual healers of oneness, again using herbs and plants. And um, you know it's very interesting that uh, they would use healing rocks to apply this healing. And um, thirdly, they had a special ability to heal their soul and body simultaneously. And um, this is more demonstrated really by uh, how Flav first century historian Flavius Joseph described them. He said, they're careful not to exhibit their anger, carefully controlling such outbursts. They're very loyal and peacemakers. They refuse to swear oaths, believing in every word they speak to, to be stronger than their oath. They're scrupulous students of ancient history, they are ardent students of healing of diseases of the roots, offering protection in the properties of stones. So again, you know, that's a very fair description of, you know, who, who they are and what, what they stood for. They collected medicinal plants and healing rocks to heal the stones. The use of laying, ha laying on one hands in the spiritual therapy that would heal the soul. They are basically uh, therapeutic healers. That's very interesting during that time frame. The other big concept they, they believed in was that um, they felt time was upon their side. I mean, they had such a great understanding of the study of the, the writings of the Torah and the healings of the esoteric healings that they felt that time was on their side. And that's real important to grasp upon them. But they, they take it a step further because certain brothers study the cosmos daily, nightly, and that was their specialty. 
and specifically uh, the follow the constellation equator continuously. So they understood that time traveled through the constellation ages. So, for example, uh, in the age of a Gemini, who would appear? What important his Jewish historic figures appeared in the, the age of uh, Gemini? That was Abraham and Noah. The age of Taurus was Moses. Age of Aries was Daniel. Age of Pisces is Jesus Nazareth. And today's age of Aquarius was a new Messiah. And we're going to get into that. We've gotten into that already. So, um, but what really came out of this is that the concept of those who controlled time controlled their realm. So the Essenes very much understood that, you know, time in our daily lives revolved around two vernal equinoxes. And they specifically followed a uh, 364-day solar calendar there. That was real important because um, this calendar, they broke it up into 52 weeks, and these particular festivals did not fall upon the Sabbath. In addition, these 364 uh, separation of days uh, had four seasons, and um, those were specifically 91 days. So it really had a structure of time. And then that took, they applied to the time of the cosmos because they knew the, the age of the cosmos was about 2,100 years and they applied the same type of timing. The other big thing they did, they, they kept a tree calendar. That's really interesting. The tree calendar is a count of 13 moons on 28 days plus one day. This was copied and actually, I shouldn't say copied, used by other, you know, indigenous communities like the Incas, Lakotas. The Egyptians used that same thing, plus the Mayans and certain Polynesian communities. So it's really interesting. So uh, the other concept that comes to mind is the moon uh, passing through zodiac signs. This is real important for young families. I know I have a number of young f- followers listening, but this is real important for fertility. Because they felt that if the moon on the forefront of a zodiac sign was the highest point in the constellation, was interpreted as a signal for the highest possibility for fertility of a woman. So, uh, you know, even back then, you know, that was an issue. So, um, very important, the continuation of life and living of, of, of their community. The next section we're going to talk about is the mystical knowledge of the Essenes themselves. And here I'm going to use a quote, and um, not much is understood about this section, but I, I think I, 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 I grasp it. And that is the glorious face. The cherub prostrates themselves before him and bless as he rises, a whisper divine voice is heard. And there's a roar of praise when they drop their wings, their whisper, there's a divine whisper of voice. The cherub blessed the image of the throne, chariot above the firmament, of a luminous firmament beneath his seat of glory. What did they understand that uh, that uh, this was never written in the Torah or the Bible? If we break this down a little bit, firmament basically means, um, you know, expansion. And the scenes felt that there's a relationship between um, themselves and God, and there's an understanding of this highest relationship that, that they felt nobody else had. 
And this takes us to the fourth dimensional application of thinking. And this is where they use the angel Uriel as a time traveler. They describe it like this. Heaven wane and go down, and the fourth quarter named the north is divided into three parts. First of them is for the dwelling of man. The second contains the seas of water, and the abyss, and the forest, and the rivers, and the darkness, and the clouds. And the third part contains a garden of righteousness. So they really kind of things have things really structured. But where this takes us to is this very important fourth dimension which we're entering hopefully here in the, the 21st century. And that is that um, there's a, you know, a lapse of time where fluidity is going to be comprehended for the first time. Time travel is going to be broken down into slices of nonlinear fluid motions. And I share this in my second book that's entitled uh, Shared Life Twin Sun. And that's where the portal of light uh, is broken down to light and technology. And uh, I use the concept such as a leafy green passage that was coming from the Exodus play, uh, Guarded Angels of a Portal of Light. And you know, where this gets to is that the scenes really had a handle that considered themselves having infinite knowledge, knowledge without equal. And that is because, you know, as um, themselves were great students, um, the communities that visited the scene community, the rural communities, they came from India, Asia, Africa, and they had this very much de- in depth of esoteric ri- wisdom that that the Essene Brotherhood um, claimed. And this is a wisdom that, you know, was shared with, you know, their community. So the sheepers, musicians, the blue-collar workers, they all got this wisdom. <clears throat> there wasn't really a hierarchy to a, a king within their community. It was just shared with everybody. <clears throat> I take this further when um, the uh, Age of Aquarius the Ladino community in New Spain, you know, also had this wisdom. <clears throat> I take it further <clears throat> in a formula that I write, <clears throat> excuse me, and that is time plus direct matter plus direct energy is a conscious directive, where time is a fluid understanding thing. The cosmic time is the fourth dimension. And um, this is real important because this is higher level thinking. So this is kind of how it's passed on. So as we go further into this 21st century, this is how you understand or top astrophysicists understand this grasping of time as a fluid moving, you know, function. It's a function of matter and time. And um, as in the esoteric play, esoteric play, the portal of light is formed with the manipulation of both light and dark, dark matter. So that's really uh, how that's going to lay out. So I'm going to end with a conclusion here. And I just found uh, this chapter so exciting and you know interesting to understand. The scenes were illustrators and demonstrators of their ability to see. They used both you know, Jack history, astrology, and hysteric wisdom that set them apart. And then the healing 
and the connection to the innate body to be able to see. The understanding of that those who comprehend time controls the realm of, of time. And that's a very important today. So it's a higher dimensional thinking of time as a fluid and moving. It's a conscious directive. Directive. It's going to be an ability to grasp dark and light matter for the first time. And the explanation of how a portal of light can, uh, can function within the universe very much uh, uh, is what we're going to expect to see. So in this chapter, again, we focus on what you will see. And, you know, in the coming age of Aquarius, the Ladino Edmanos uh, are requesting a prayer of a new Messiah to arrive. And so, again, that's the foreseeing of what will happen here in the near future. With that, I thank you very much. Again, you can contact me email at xxicent at aol.com. My name is Anthony Garcia, and I hope you enjoyed this very, you know, enlightening chapter. Thank you.